This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be a woman and a Bolivian national? In this episode, Alba tells us how growing up in Bolivia shaped her understanding on issues of race and racism and her relationship to these issues. She's also going to be sharing with us her experiences of being othered in international contexts. One, as a Bolivian national during her time as a flight attendant, and two, as a student pursuing her master's studies. I'm Fumi, this is Hashtag R Racism, and this is the story of Alba. Alba is Bolivian and mixed. In the context of Bolivia, mixed people, quote-unquote, refers to those who are a mix of local indigenous people and Europeans which is rooted in Bolivia's history of being colonized. Alba says, growing up in Bolivia, she didn't think much about racism for two main reasons. First, she doesn't remember being explicitly othered herself either due to the color of her skin or her last name. And second, She grew up getting accustomed to the various manifestations of racism that exist in Bolivia on a daily basis. She saw her own blindness to racism for the first time when she left Bolivia and went to Argentina for a high school prom trip. Here we have like open markets like in Asia, big open markets, and a lot of people selling and buying and a lot of noise and a lot of dirt and everything and a lot's going on. And um, you would think that those sellers, who we call here the cholitas, the people who are indigenous but also wear traditional clothes, like long skirts, and they have like braids, and they would be the ones selling. They normally are for, for us the ones selling. And if you wouldn't feel like a person with green eyes and blonde hair and white skin would be there selling, you would be like, what's going on? And I only realized this when I went abroad with uh, a group of friends, like at prom, we do a trip, and we went to Argentina, where I mentioned it's very different because everybody basically looks European. So everybody does every different type of job. And uh, we, we saw that and we were so confused by that. Like, why would he be doing this job if he looked like this? And then I realized at prom, imagine how naturalized it is in our minds that some people should have this type of job and others don't. And, and here I mentioned it because we do have some people who look European because they have basically descent from European. And then we have mixed, a lot of mixed. And then we have very indigenous people. And also this situation I'm talking about in the city, because then in rural areas it's even worse because they even talk other language. And when they come to the city, they forget their clothes and they want to forget their language to just fit in also. So there is a lot of racism going on in everyday life. And I think it's something that we don't even talk about a lot. According to Alba, Bolivians across generations don't talk about racism, particularly the racism aimed towards indigenous communities, either because they're in denial or simply because they just cannot or do not want to see the issue. One anecdote, like three weeks ago, I was having a coffee with a friend and another person popped in and we were talking about how we both felt that we naturalized, naturalized racism and how we shouldn't and how for example in her city which is La Paz indigenous women with braids and skirts cholitas they are very much powerful and 
they go around in the city with their tradition dress very much empowered. Well, here in, in my city, no. Um, in my city, is yes, sometimes, but some of them want to lose that to fit in. So this third person comes in and, and he's like, no, I don't feel there is a racism in Bolivia. You're exaggerating, I think. It's fine, maybe before in the past years, but not now. So I feel some people want to not accept it, or maybe can't, they don't read it in their minds. They don't feel it like that. I don't know. But at school, we don't talk about this at all. However, the government that is right now, they are trying to change the situation. and They put a lot of emphasis in that, and they even changed some books and stuff for education to learn a bit about all this colonization theory and all this racism, but not very specific. I think we talk about it, but maybe not in the right way, in a very vengeance type of way, rather than in a way that we can all work together and to a better place. And in families, in my point of view, if you are from a family that is privileged enough and maybe you have some education and some values that can make you see racism around Bolivia, then you can talk about it and then you can behave different and more respectfully towards. I see that some families are like it. Some other families just are super hard against this other group and against and othering others. And then it passes from generation to generation. Now, in terms of generations, I would say the generation of our parents or 60 older and stuff are more racist, unluckily, than our generation. But still, in our generation, I feel there is a lot of racism. Alba says that in contrast to other countries in Latin America and the U.S., where indigenous communities have been excluded from society, indigenous people in Bolivia are a lot more present, particularly in the political scene. But despite the indigenous people's engagement in Bolivian politics, the gap between different communities has been growing increasingly over the years. We had some political problems in 2019, some big political issues. And throughout all these past years also, there's been a divide, whereas there has been a lot of more recognition towards indigenous people, but the divide has grown between one and the other, who is one and the other, like indigenous people and those who feel as much Bolivians, but are mixed and feel different to them and have had other background. And um, now it's like, oh, they are, they don't know how to behave. They behave so bad. I've heard even like, they behave like animals. They have no self-control. They don't have good attitude. And also now, because of the recognition and power that indigenous group have gained, also they are like, othering others in terms of now the the party in power it's from an indigenous background and they call white people caras so it's a term sort of mean way to say these other people they did so much wrong to us and now they don't need to be in any you know authority place even if they would be prepared if they wouldn't have anything against them but they would fight for leadership spaces, for workspaces, for now for everything, basically. Now we are in a very fragile point in Bolivia where there is a big divide between this and this and othering each other in every space available. 
In addition to racism within Bolivia aimed at Bolivian people of different backgrounds, Alba says that Bolivians also experience racism outside Bolivia, particularly from people of other Latin American countries. She remembers one particular dialogue from her prom trip in Argentina. We've migrated a lot towards other countries, neighboring countries, and also even Spain and the US, but Argentina, Chile, to work, Brazil. And when we went to Argentina, that prom trip, and even later in my life, they would be pretty racist against Bolivian people. For example, we went there and they would be like, assuming we are not Bolivian, they would say all the nationalities in the whole South American continent, but us. And then they would be like, we would be like, no, we're Bolivian. No way. You are Bolivian. You don't look Bolivian at all. Bolivian look like this. And they would describe, well, most of the migrants they might have seen or what the idea they have about Bolivians. So darker skin, very humble and very, maybe in their look, poor. And I don't know how they imagine them, but um, they would be like, you don't look Bolivian at all. None of you. Why wouldn't you look Bolivian? We are very happy to be Bolivian. We are Bolivian. We are very mixed. <laughs> but then they would come up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, but you are pretty hardworking people. All you people that come here are pretty hardworking. And that's how people see us everywhere we, where we migrate. Because I think Bolivians tend to be pretty much low profile in terms of, I don't know, sometimes we talk about this with friends, self-esteem, national self-esteem. They don't go to other places and like, oh, I'm here and I'm going to do this, but just go and work a lot to send money. And uh, yeah, they would have this idea, but they also have this idea of, well, like I said, people who migrate mainly are from low income families and households. And like I said, here, there is a big difference how you look in low income households and high income households. So they have this idea of people, and that's why they, these Argentinian people told us, oh, you don't look like Bolivian, or the ones who migrate here at least, you know? So, yeah, that's a mix of racism, social status, migration, and everything, but, yeah. Alba worked as a flight attendant for an international airline for four years. She says that for the most part, she felt welcomed as a Bolivian national. However, she recalls a number of occasions where some of her colleagues would create hierarchies between people of different nationalities. I didn't feel other in the way of my color scheme or my nationality. No, because it was a very international place. And everyday life, I didn't feel that. And uh, in the plane, I didn't feel that. I was very welcome and I, I was, I'm very grateful to have learned a lot about multiculturality. But... What I wanted to talk about was um, how some nationalities there uh, at work would uh, feel more power over others. In a setting where we were all the same, of course we had like some posts, positions, different positions, but we were all the same. And some nationalities somehow would feel they have power over others to make fun of them and to be ironic and sarcastic all the time. And uh, I wouldn't like that at all, because I've never liked that about people like bullying or something like that. So I remember one anecdote when um, this uh, English-speaking girl, and she... So normally, 
native English speakers would be the ones who make fun of everybody else. Whereas they would speak one language and the rest would speak at least three and more. But they would make fun of how we don't speak properly, we don't understand maybe properly, or how we do things from different nationalities. I'm not talking about Bolivian. And so this day, this girl was being sarcastic with an Asian crew. And I, I didn't like that at all. So I just looked at her. I didn't laugh at all. But she was expecting me to laugh. And she said, oh, you guys, you don't laugh because you don't understand what I'm talking about. And I'm like, look, I understand perfectly. I just don't think that's funny. Because I think you always make fun of how they are doing things. Well, they're super hardworking and respectful to you. Why would you be so mean to them? And she was like, oh, she, she was upset. She was like shocked that I said that. And that stopped there. But I mean, that's like one example of how sometimes it worked. And I want to make, I mean, a point about the fact that that, it, that was about uh, race, but it had to do also about the way we spoke the language, the way we act, the behaviors and attitudes. Because for example, I've heard a lot of making fun of Asian crew, unfortunately, a lot. And I so much respected them because they were, again, I say hardworking, respect. Of course, they had different ways of understanding things and of reacting to things because the cultures are very different from the West. So, I mean, you have to just acknowledge that and respect, not talk bad about it and make fun about it. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. So I felt there was this condescending attitude towards other nationalities and stuff that were not the powerful ones. <laughs> and yeah, that's when I felt sometimes other, because I, I know I would enter that group too. Not as often, I have to say, but I would enter that group too. Because yeah, I never spoke English perfectly, as you can see today. <laughs> and I um, and probably I do things different than other people. And I'm, I don't like sarcasm either, <laughs> which is sometimes part of some cultures. So yeah. Alba eventually quit her career as a flight attendant and went on to pursue a master's degree in development studies. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term development studies, what you need to know for Alba's story is that it is a broad subject area with various research agendas. It often studies situations of countries in the global south, studies which are often conducted by people from the global north who seek to improve the situation in the global south, quote-unquote. To Alba's disbelief, she would experience similar condescending attitudes she experienced as a flight attendant during her studies. In the setting of the studies I was making, this condescending attitude came back again. Some nationalities sometimes gather together and talk about how we feel other by other nationalities. Uh, more powerful in the international context, I'm going to say. Let's, let's put it as global north and global south. Let's put it that way. Not exactly, but yeah. And how... Sometimes in the context of the studies of the master, our opinions wouldn't be so much validated because these other ones have stronger and more powerful opinions and their countries are more powerful too. And so that would be really weird to me. But if we are in this international development context, this shouldn't happen. And it happens so naturally. And I really don't want it to be taken the wrong way because... Those two years for me were magnificent, but 
yeah, unfortunately, I did feel that sometimes our opinions were not as validated as others. I've been told as a joke, but I don't think it's 100% a joke. Yeah, but you come from this small country. Your opinion is not so much valid. And it was a joke. But as I said, sometimes in these jokes, you don't find it. It's 100% of a joke. So I was so surprised. <laughs> and um, even though I took even classes that were especially focused on Latin American studies, because I really enjoy that, because, well, obviously it's the area where I live, there, there was a different dynamic, but because also the teacher, she was from a Latin American place. And the dynamic was completely different. And I'm not talking like teachers where I studied are amazing but i mean as we naturalize many things i think that is also naturalized that uh, some people even teachers or colleagues or students from some country feel naturally more power to be condescending towards others so that's when i felt other i have to say not about my skin color but more about my nationality and how our non-powerful countries maybe don't have a, I don't know, to say a valid opinion, but I even felt that as education is different, you're in a competition where you are running from behind. You started from very far behind other people because the main way of studies is either American or European. And if you don't come from this, if you didn't study a bachelor in the US or in Europe, then I come from very far behind. And uh, I had to do a lot of effort in terms of language, in terms of studies in general. But it's fine. That's okay. I don't feel bad about that. But I do feel that that process is not acknowledged. And then, of course, that process could, should be acknowledged to either help you or validate your process and your opinion. Because they are important. They come from a place where you're actually working for. Because <laughs> international development, you work for the global south. And uh, you should really give a lot of importance to the opinions and the experiences from there. So, yeah. Not in a condescending way, as we know everything. But in a, we should take this in consideration because it's very different from what we thought about. Alba has the following to say about what she thinks needs to be done to tackle racism. I feel race and racism are unfortunately something we live through every day and we we really need to talk more about it to be more conscious about it and in our everyday actions and to be more conscious about it when we are racist towards others either passive like uh, we mentioned either we don't do anything to stop things or we just assume it's fine or being active even sometimes. So I feel it's really good to talk about it. I like to talk about it here a lot. I liked to talk about it when I was living abroad. And yet for me, I have to admit that in many things, I didn't even notice that I was being part of a maybe somehow racist conversation or interaction, either me being uh, somehow racist or feeling it, um, but maybe not realizing it. So the only uh, way I see moving forward 
as humanity is talking about and being more um, open to discussions. You can find more information about racism in Bolivia, as well as other articles, books, and videos Alba recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and Hashtag Our Racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Moore's Crescent Music and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Alba for her time and energy in sharing with us her experiences with racism and raising important reflection points on this issue.